face the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Nothing beats the classic, does it? Anyways, it is Monday night, guys, and welcome to, yes, welcome to Comic Corner. We're back. We've been on a little hiatus there. Uh, COVID came along, and the comic book production kind of got erratic, and, you know, we had 49 straight weeks of Star Trek, and the Comic (laughs) Corner kind of got pushed off to the side, but we're back. Comic Corner is back, Book Nook is back, and we're going to finish up on our Star Trek Year 5, which we started about two years ago, Eric? Uh, yeah, we started it more than two years ago, yep. Yeah, and uh, we're going to finish it up tonight. We have six issues to cover tonight, which won't be a problem, and we're going to talk all about Year 5, all the twists, all the turns, the recurring characters. Um some of them kind of tie into Picard season two, actually. So that's pretty cool when we can tie stuff in. And uh, dare I say that some of it might even tie into Strange New Worlds as well. What? Dun, 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 dun. Jump <laughs> back. Uh, before we get too far, though, I want to go around the room and introduce my awesome experts. We'll start off with Charles. Charles is out in Las Vegas. How you doing tonight, Charles? I'm doing good. Another monsoon day, but for a few of my friends out there, happy first day of school. Yay! Already. Wow. Wow. Already. That's that's really early to start. That's that's, uh-huh. that's uh, I thought we started early we out here, pre Labor Day, but to start this early, that's bananas. Yeah. Yeah. We got education reasons for starting that early. <laughs> education good reasons, thing. I love it. Yes. The good thing they don't start we school that early. The university so that's a that's a good thing. <laughs> so, and uh, we also have with us from Portland, we have Paul the Wine Guy. How you doing, Paul? How you doing, man? You doing well? I I, I can't. It's ninety eight degrees up here in Vermont right now, which is like. <laughs> Brutally hot for this part of the country, but uh, we're getting by. We're getting by. Well, good, man. I'm doing well, too. I just gave myself a haircut, so I feel like pounds lighter. Isn't that funny how that works? <laughs> it's, like, it's like washing your car. It, dry, it seems to drive better, you know? It's true, man. <laughs> it's true. You feel like you can, uh, you're much more svelte and mobile once you uh, get aerodynamic again. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Ready, to, ready to dive into comics. We got some good comics, some good comics. And last but definitely not least, we have our very own Eric. He, too, resides in Portland. How are you doing tonight, Eric? I am doing really good. It is a nice, cool 90 degrees here, and uh, we're enjoying a beautiful day here in Portland. And I am so excited about finally finishing up this series, man. Uh, this, is, this is a gem, and I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, we. it's been a while. It's been a while. It's been a long time in the making, but here it is. We made it. So, uh, you want to dive right in? Shall we? Shall we dive right? I don't have the book. I don't have the book. You know, the the physical books because I uh, got them all digital through Comicology on my Kindle, and I can't. I can't run the show on my Kindle and look at the book simultaneously. So, um, someone else is going to have to comment on the artwork because I don't have. We've got um, somebody between the three of us. We've got comments for. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Eric, why don't you get us caught up on uh, up to date? It's been a long time 
So uh, why don't you get us caught up as to where we left off so that our, our fans uh, know where we're coming from. Sure, yeah. Um, so this is the uh, Year 5 comic, which is really, uh, as its name would suggest, the adventures that the Enterprise goes on in their fifth year of their five-year mission, just prior to the events of Star Trek The Motion Picture. And so, you know, we there have been 19 issues prior to this one. There have been a lot of adventures along the way. I think some of the coolest things about it have been um, – there's been a lot of kind of introspective Kirk stuff where he's going over his internal um, thinking process, his internal demons, et cetera. Um, we're going to see that Spock has, has gone through some and continues to go through some of his own. So you get some really good insights into the characters here. Some of the interesting um, things that they've introduced into the story up to this point are uh, the Tholians. Uh We have, a character on board who is a um, an adolescent Tholian uh, named Bright Eyes, who um, you know started out as kind of like an anomaly on the on the ship. Eventually, Uhura learned how to communicate with them, uh, and now Bright Eyes is kind of going to become, uh, in some ways, an ambassador between um, the Federation and the Tholian Assembly, which we'll talk about here in these last six, six issues. Um, we've also had the interactions of um, Gary Seven and Isis. Uh, in this continuum of stories, Isis is not only a person and not only a cat, but can also shapeshift into a big, nasty um, Tholian. Uh, fortunately, by the time issue 20 rolls around, um, Isis has already been defeated. Uh, Tholian Isis, which they called the Trespasser, um, has been defeated by Kirk. Uh, actually, I think it was by Sulu and Chekhov, if I remember right. Anyway, she's defeated. Gary Seven's really pissed off about it, honestly. And part of his interactions in these last, last six issues with Kirk have to do with the fact that we lost ISIS uh, several issues ago. Um, we've had lots of other nice little stories along the way, some really cool development of the relationship between Sulu and Ayal, um, who's from this cool water planet. Um, we saw Eric's come or get assigned to the Enterprise, but then kind of like, kind of goes away because Chekhov sort of comes back and Sulu sort of comes back. Um, and uh, at this point, um, the kind of like couple of issues leading up to this, this specific issue are, we just went through a story with, uh, a competition for the presidency of the Federation. Believe it or not, Gary Mudd was a candidate. Luckily, he lost. Uh, <laughs> um, we've been through the intersection uh, of Assignment Earth and uh, the, actually a great Gary Seven origin story. That was issue 17. So if you want to pick up just one issue, 17 is a great one. That gives you the whole backstory on Gary Seven. And then, um, you know, we went and we cured a pandemic. Uh, so thanks, McCoy, for doing that again. Uh, he's done that a few times, I think, throughout the TOS era. So um, this one starts out then uh, with, of course, a mysterious uh, thing that has to be investigated this time on Vulcan. And so the ship is flying uh, towards Vulcan, and that's where we kind of open issue 20. So that's my quick well, summary you, of where, how we got here. You, you left off the most important thing. Did I? Which one? Which part? Yes, there? I was trying to be quick. The, the <laughs> infamous evil admiral. Uh, the, well, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, well, it's true. the evil admiral. Well, Poor so, Eric. Yeah. You thought you were going to get through this with no speed bumps, and then all of a sudden they started pouring concrete. It's okay. It's okay. Not a problem. I will address the evil admiral. Yes, there was absolutely an evil admiral. We we learned that unfortunately. Um, a bunch of people who have disappeared from Starfleet over the last many years have actually been being experimented on by, yes, an evil admiral and their cronies. Um, and so that's part of the story that, that has to kind of develop along the way in these first 19 issues as well. It's a good story, too. Yeah, well, you've also Star got the, uh, the evil the, admiral. The uh, civilization from uh, Sigma Iota. Oh, the old West, the Western. Yeah, the, uh, well, not from the Western, from Piece of the Action. Piece of the Action, thank you. Mm -hmm. The Iotians. Yep. Yeah, there's a bunch, the there's bunch of details kind of thrown in there. 
And there's and this series, you guys, wouldn't you agree? This series up to this point has been pretty high quality. I mean, um, many of the same artists that we've seen on other um, IDW, you know, titles over the years have been involved in these. The writers have been a bit a bit of a revolving door series, but that's okay. I don't mind fresh writers every now and then, and the story has been. Um, has had a nice continuum to it. Like I've never felt that the transition from issue to issue has been jarring. It has kind of been a one story leads right into the next one. And we get lots of repeat uh, artists like uh, Angel Hernandez, Sylvia Califano, and those other ones that we've seen a million times before in IDW comics. So I think the quality of this comic overall has been pretty good. What do you guys think? Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, not like the Deep Space Nine one that we read. This one was... Um, the story arc was was really good, I felt. And I really liked the callbacks to, like, the Iotians, you know, uh, the Tholians, which play a really big role in this story arc, which we're going to talk about tonight. Gary Seven. Yeah, yeah, Gary Seven. The, the Gary Seven, seven is uh, not actually in Picard. Gary Seven himself in Picard Season 2, but Aegis is. So there's a and connection there. Is in Picard season two, um, Laris, I can't remember her her like other name, but she never actually refers to the agency as Aegis, which is too bad because I always thought that would be super cool if she actually did, and then we actually had some continuity between the comic and uh, Picard season two. So nobody on screen yet has referred to Gary Seven's agency as Aegis. Oh no, no, but Picard did directly mention Gary Seven. Uh, for sure. Yeah, I totally yeah. agree. Yeah, yeah, he referenced Gary yep. Seven's existence. Oh, yeah, for sure. I totally agree with that. And, you know, up to this point, I've really enjoyed the introduction, in particular, of the Tholians. I mean, I they're a race that always fascinated me. I loved it when they brought them into uh, Enterprise, and you get that great uh, defiant story um, that includes the Tholians, but you still don't get a real good flavor for their culture. I feel like these comics have given me a better understanding a little bit of, um, you know, what it's like to be <laughs> a Tholian. I'm sure there's some great beta canon novels out there that would do the same thing, but for me personally, I, have, I just haven't dug my teeth into the Tholians that much, and this series has really allowed me to do that. Eric just said up to this point. <laughs> Yeah, that's not a <laughs> that's not a preview of coming attractions, is it? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. But should we should we start digging into what actually happens in these last last six issues, then, guys? That sounds good. Yeah. I, I just want to pay a compliment to these guys too. Um, uh, I think one of the things they do really, really well, um, I think, is they've done a – just going back and rereading these, these last six, they do a really, really good job of making the characters sound like they do on the show mm-hmm. in terms of the dialogue that they have. In particular, the Spock character in, like, say, these first couple of issues we're going to talk about, you know, 20 onward, he sounds like Spock. And when you're reading the dialogue, you hear Leonard Nimoy in your mind. And that's no easy trick to pull off, but it just, the language he chooses is really appropriate and it really fits. So I think they've done a really good job of, of making it feel like, you know, uh, I mean, that's the goal, right? Make it feel like that, you know, missing season of the show. And uh, the dialogue does a huge job of helping uh, foster that illusion. I think that's totally true, Paul, and what amazes me about that is because the writing is a revolving door, you know, in, this, in these last six issues, you've actually got one writer for the first two and then the same team that does the last four, but there's consistency. You don't, you don't, feel, you, know, you don't feel it when you go from one writer to the next because I think all the writers have done a good job at exactly what you're saying. Totally, totally, yeah, it's, it's really fun. So uh, so I guess as we head into issue number 20 then here, we've got our mysterious thing that happens on Vulcan, and just we'll just give a very – that we've got six issues to plow through here, guys, in like 45 minutes, so we're going to do it real quick. Basically, spot, the, these two issues, 20 and 21, are a little mini time travel arc, right? Spock uh, gets out of the Enterprise with the team. They discover a crazy thing on Vulcan. It's like this obelisk that's kind of sticking up. Bright Eyes, uh, being a Tholian, has kind of a different concept of time, sees time 
in triangular ways and et cetera. There's a few descriptions of how they see it differently. Basically, boom, Spock is transported back to the time of Sarek and the time of Awakening. And it's pretty cool, I think, the way they developed this story. Um, one of the most surprising things to me, and I'd love to talk about this in more detail uh, without taking up too much time, but uh, Spock discovers that Sarek has uh, basically prison camps, you know, like places that he stores people. Yeah. Sarek is also a military leader. He's he's leading insurgents or insurrections against uh, other groups of people. So I think Spock in this episode or in this issue gets kind of a different uh, view of Surak along the way, and I kind of like how this issue, like all the issues before, kind of bounces between that A and B story too. We've got Spock in the past dealing with the Surak stuff. We've got the Enterprise uh, in the future, and what's cool is that when stuff in the past changes just a little bit, it instantly changes for the Enterprise, and the Enterprise doesn't really have knowledge that anything is weird about what's happening. Only the Tholian, only Bright Eyes has knowledge because they see time differently than the humans do. So, yeah, Serac, uh, Serac's yeah. not the Serac of the Savage Curtain, is he? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Well, he is more of the Serac. Uh, there's a little bit more of an inkling of the Serac in, um, in the Enterprise episodes that he's in, but no, I think this comic is like, holy crap, this guy is like, He's actually Here he's more like uh, he's more like Anton Caridian. Yes, uh, great. Uh, yeah, absolutely great uh, parallel. Yeah, for sure. He's kind of like you know, it's kind of like a, a, a bit of a warlord almost. He's yep. willing to do whatever's necessary to get his vision, you know, uh, implemented. Right. And so it, it's really interesting, and it's it kind of shakes Spock up, right? To to see things are not as they, as they uh, were depicted. And what is the one line he says? Uh, History is written by the victors. Yeah. Yep. And he also tries, you know, Serac tries to like throw some, some logical justification at, at Spock for what he's doing. And Spock basically is able to just kind of toss it right, right back at him and not really, you know, the, we learn that Serac doesn't really have a logical justification for what he's doing. So I feel like, He's a man who has the, – the, the, the idea that I get of him now is the, that he's a man who has a vision. He understands how important his vision is, but he's still struggling with his own internal demons and isn't, you know, hasn't probably done his own colonar, so to speak, <laughs> at this point, you know. <laughs> um, so I like that. And, and um, Spock, by the end of – issue 20 he kind of decides that he can no longer ignore his own morals and what does he do he he puts Serac down for the count man he Vulcan neck pinches the boy <laughs> yep <laughs> which, which I thought was pretty sweet um and so then you're like oh my gosh he's in the past timeline shenanigans right uh so I don't know anything else about issue 20 specifically. I, this is the first half of the Spock time travel story. Did you, did you guys want to bring up anything else in this particular issue specifically? Well, it's interesting when Spock exit as a mind melt with Serac. Yeah. I think to learn some of the truth totally. of what's going on. Yeah. Maybe we go ahead and move on to the next one, Charles, because that happens in the next issue. And I totally agree. You want to keep riffing on that? All right. I was, I was just flipping through my books. Also, it's interesting, and I can't remember the device, is 20 and 21, Spock picks up the device that we see later in TNG, where they think it's a weapon and find out that it only focuses on emotion, negative energy, neg- negative the stone emotion. of goal? Yeah, the stone of goal, yeah. We... We get I don't know what you know about it there, Paul. I know that they bring it in to Enterprise a bit as well. But. I don't I do, I've not seen those episodes. And I, I we should probably mention just too for the audience uh, to anyone listening that uh Uncle Jim had a power failure. <laughs> he got mm. hit by a photon torpedo. Oh, and, I missed that. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so he's he's actually uh <laughs> he's lost all warp power and he's floating dead in space. So uh it sounds like he will not be able to to join us for the rest of the convo. So we might be kind of uh, bereft without the captain, but we'll just sally forth and move on. So, yeah, I, I, now you've given me yet another Enterprise episode i got to go back and look at, which is awesome. Well, that's also a TOS, uh, uh, TNG episode also to look up. 
With the Stone of Gold, really? They they have a uh, 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 Ricard is playing a and they capture I think they captured Riker oh. and we find out that it's a renegade Vulcan and she's thinking she's getting a big weapon you know what find right. out yeah. they get the emo- she finds out it's an emotion weapon and they what episode come up and is say, this? I have this to go look in, at this this is in Next Generation Gambit Part 2 so this is to Paul is the Gambit Romulan. Part 1 and 2 Part one and part wow. two, but the Stone of Gaul really comes yes. into it in part two, and T'Pol is this Romulan who tries to wield it, and actually the same thing happens to her that basically happens to the person in uh, in issue 21 here, which is that if you have negative emotions, the Stone of Gaul is a very powerful weapon, but it will just amplify the negative ones, and it basically will take out the user if they have too much uh, negative emotions. Going oh, I am going to go back and watch those episodes. That's really cool. Yep, I did not remember that. that. I saw that this past summer. And, yep, that's another set of good episodes. It's a two-parter. You're not sure it what's going to happen in that one. It's a two-parter, and it's right at the beginning of season seven. Um, so you've got those well-developed characters and stuff and all that kind of Romulan shenanigans that starts to happen at that time. It's, it's by Ronald D. Moore, you know, it was written by him. So it's pretty good. Um, it's interesting to see, it's interesting to see Spock's conflict. And in this case, unlike the original serial, original episodic, is this theme keeps going. And I do like how this doesn't get resolved to the end of the series. But did you yeah. see the conflict that Spock is going through? And it's a reoccurring event that won't solve to the end of the series. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, it's so funny to me, Charles, how you can go back to that Spock struggling with his own emotional self well so many times and it never runs dry to me the way that they kind of explore those things here are really cool in that he's able to find common ground with Surak during the mind meld because Surak starts to understand why there's a duality to Spock and why there's a duality to himself and that he's kind of like not alone in the universe so to speak and I won't say it yet but it's interesting to it's interesting how this series kind of finales and we realize what happened to Spock and why into the motion picture. Yeah, absolutely. I totally want to get there, Charles, because issue 25 here in particular is an awesome like oh, epilogue that leads right into yeah, that. But, exactly what you're saying, right? Yeah. But the, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we, but the storyline in but the storyline in 22, 23, 24. Mm-hmm. As I yeah. chatted with you, it's like, man, that just looked to me like a Star Trek episode. That was a TOS <laughs> episode right there. Totally. So, yeah, so I don't know, Paul, if you've got too much more to say, but these issues 20 and 21, both written by Brandon Easton, um, both artists by or art by Sylvia Califano. Um, we've got DC Alonzo doing the color. Uh, the letter of basically everything that I think we've ever read here is always Neil Uyataki. Um, and then, of course, the editing team changes just a little bit. But this little two-issue mini arc is pretty cool. I, you know, in the end, I guess the, the, if we dive just a little bit deeper into what happens in issue 21, Gary seven pops back in. Right. Um, and there's kind of that, that B story that sort of happens that explains how, um, they'll use the Thalian Pythagorean theorem to, (laughs) to figure out how to send Spock a message so that he can get back from the past. Um, which I always love time travel shenanigans personally uh, in Star yeah. Trek. I don't, I don't have a single problem with that <laughs> at all. Well, and and I, I, love, 
I love where we sit there and say, okay, how do you see these time rifts? Hmm. And the artist just kind of puts these people where they kind of like a movement with this blue outline on them. It's like, yep, there's in the time shift. It's like, mm. I love that you, we know the time shift was because we just see it as a visual. Mm-hmm. And I think the art and coloring in these books has always been really cool too, because not only are the likenesses very recognizable, but we've often talked about how cool, like the panel layouts are. Mm-hmm how they're really dynamic, yeah. like they change from time to time. Sometimes it's overlapping panels. Sometimes it's more of a traditional, you know, setup with the white lines in between. It keeps the reading uh, experience very interesting for me. Um, you know, I've read, I've read, I read a lot of comics. And I've read a lot of comics where you just kind of get like the same boxes over and over again. And I will tell you that to me, the design of the layout of the panels matters when it comes to how you're trying to communicate the information you're communicating in the comic. And I feel like these guys do a really good job of that. There's even some really creative stuff that happens with like triangular panels and diamond shaped panels and stuff. And I think those work well, I really love, well. I love the page with Spock and Surak when they oh, get yeah, the mind right. mill. Yeah. And you get underneath thing. and you see all those, those, those puzzle pieces. You see yeah. the hand in the middle and the puzzle pieces that tie it all together. That's not the only page they've done that to. And I love that imagery of like, okay, we've got to rotate around this. But everything is tied, tied together. So cool. All right. Um, do either of you gentlemen have anything you'd like to say about issues 20 or 21 uh, that we haven't covered already? Nope. In fact, Paul, I think, did just opinion if he's got questions. So like he had something come up. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Uh, well, let's move on. Um, I think, Charles, that we should kind of cover like the next three issues then as a little mini arc as well. Um, 22, yeah, 23, good. and 24 kind of have their own little little story to them. And then 25, I think that the most the best way to refer to that would be as an epilogue. It's kind of like what happens yes. after the story has been resolved. So uh, well, one, the, yeah, opener, the opener, I, I love the opener in 22. Oh yeah. You want to talk about that? Where they, they, they leave, they end up at the start the Federation headquarters and the ship Everybody does an all-hands-on-deck as they come in and see that Bright Eyes has been promoted to cadet. It's like Starfleet we got cadet. our first Tholian. So cool. In Starfleet, yeah. And just in case y'all are wondering, and you've seen Enterprise, and you know that Tholians exist at some ridiculous temperature. I can't remember what it is. It's like 400C or 500C or maybe even hotter. You know, they've got this, like, metabolism that just burns hot. Many, many, many issues ago, they, they built a little suit for Bright Eyes that basically is, um, it's like the Dune personal shield. <laughs> it's a little shield that stays very, very close to your own body. And so Bright Eyes is actually able to interact with humans because they wear um, this personal shield. And you see that in the artwork. You always see this little blue glow around them. Can I uh, ask a question? <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Did anybody else uh, wish find themselves wishing that uh, <laughs> that they had chosen a different name other than Bright Eyes? Well, I I, can, I, I had a couple of I, uh, I had a couple of issues with it. For one thing, that was the kind of uh, nickname that uh, Doctor Zira gives Taylor in the original Planet of the Apes movies, right? So I kept thinking about that, and it's kind of denigrating, right? Because it's like he's kind of you know, infantilizing him, but it just sounds so juvenile, man. I was just like, why, why, why did they come up with that name? Why? <laughs> you know, it's I think nice it was a, it was a planet of the apes. Well, myself. I mean, yeah. And I kind of like, there's a nice combination of the planet of the apes combination, but then actually Tholians, their eyes do glow. So there's a literal interpretation of it as well. Yeah. It just was like seems so so giddy to me. I don't know. <laughs> but I I, so I digress. Paul, so here's no no no. I I don't want to like poo poo what you're saying because I think it's an important point. And I wonder the only defense that I can give it is that I feel like 
the term bright eyes does communicate a certain innocence and maybe maybe they've done a good enough job through the writing showing that like bright eyes isn't just a simple a simple uh you know person who doesn't you know understand what's going on or doesn't you know want to contribute to the story in a meaningful way i mean I think they've done a good job of showing how they are a good character. So, I don't know. Didn't personally bug me, but I see where you're coming. Fair enough. Right. All right. So, uh, so here we are. Okay, so... And we're getting into politics. This is so true. So, this is where we get into the... Uh, a little bit more into uh, the election... Well, the council... Side of things. Yes. Right. Um, yeah, Charles. Do you want to? I'm just kind of like chatting away here. Do you want to? Do you want to take it on for a little bit well, and tell us kind of what happens next year? We can do a little bit. So we kind of get into. They think Spock, Kirk's supposed to show up. Instead, Spock, Uhura, and Scotty go in and speak to the council and discuss issues with the Tholian and kind of what's going on because there's a bit of a debate on what direction Starfleet should be moving to. With the Tholians, right? Because they, they, With they don't... Tholians. Like the Tholians have this kind of aggressive nature, and they know, but... And then, and then the council gets upset that, <laughs> that Kirk has a juvenile Tholian on board. <laughs> yeah. But you see the crew, uh, Kurt kind of, Kurt wants, Kurt knows he's got to be pushing to Admiral. And he really wants to see Spock become captain. And Spock with his emotions, and I don't want to drag across that entire conversation. Spock just doesn't feel like he can deal with the issue because of his emotions and that he needs to kind of go do something else instead. Mm-hmm. And as we think he's going to go off and maybe leave the ship, we found out that Gary Seven grabs him. Zaps him away. But we, grabs him away. But we also learn that this obelisk that we saw on Vulcan, which they didn't think was actually up, that, Fox thought it had been there for, for forever, and yet Bright Eye said, it, no, this is brand new. Yeah, that was, that was we part of that time. That there are yeah. obelisks in, not only in Vulcan, but now in Doria, Proxima, Terra Prime. These are all over. And all of a sudden, the Tholians are putting a web across all these planets. Now that to me had the flavor of Star Wars recycling that kind of like Death Star story, but you know now it's galactic wide in those last three uh, installments, right? <laughs> you take that idea. It also evokes a little bit of, of the energy ribbon in uh, Generations, right? Generation, Where you have something yeah. that's just you know cruising across the entire you know galaxy. Yeah. Yep. And the last line that is in the book. And the Tholians just won. And it's like, oh, it kind of gets you on one of those cliffhangers that you're like, okay, what's going to happen? I got to see what happens next. Yeah. And I mean, let's, let's definitely talk about the cover mm. on this issue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Kirk walking off the bridge. And, and leaving the chair empty. empty chair, that empty chair. Yes, that empty chair. And that to me is so cool because that is not only a story about Kirk, but that is a story about Spock. And there's Charles, you were starting to kind of hit on this. You know, this series starts. Remember, way way back in issue one, it starts with um, Kirk being held at gunpoint, right? And we kind of yeah. find out halfway through the series that it's a Gary Seven scenario, and we, we find out who that is. But there's been this, um, can I call it Pike-esque melancholy to Kirk's yeah. uh, you know, experience throughout his fifth year here? It's like he knows he's being promoted to Admiral. He doesn't want to be. He knows this is the last mission he's going on. He doesn't want it to be. 
all this stuff is happening. Some people die. That really sucks, right? There's all this melancholy that's coming out of Kirk, I think, throughout this entire series. And I would say these last six issues kind of lean hard into that well, as well. He's, he knows the mission is coming to an end. And he's already been for, for, for no, knowing for knowledge that he's going to end up becoming an admiral. And if the admiral, it means he's going to get stuck in a desk job. Desk job. Yep. And he's been traveling for five years. He's used to being, you get the feeling, you've been doing this for five years. Okay, now we're going to stick you behind the desk. Yeah. It's funny, too, reading. Into, we, Go ahead, Charles. But we work into F, issue 23. And we see the fact the Enterprise is fighting with the web. They're stuck. They can't do anything. And we see it's a captain who doesn't, is not sure what to do. And we get a bit of more of a Picard scene in here where we are getting recommendations from crew members. And they start coming up with ideas of how to do it. Bright Eye gives them ideas, and then they realize that, okay, if we can make the hull cold, we can release the ship because the Tholians, the biggest issue with the web is it deals with heat. Cold is its, cold is its issue. Yeah, that's the way that you can shatter uh, even rocks, right? Yes. All right. Uh, I think we have gone a little bit over time here. We are having such a good time talking. We just uh, have missed our commercial break. So I believe that Jim, who may or may not have vocal access to us right now, is going to take us to a commercial break, and I hope this works. I'm going to set it up, so here we go. Hi there, this is Eric from Trek Talking. Do you own a business, produce a product, or are planning an event that would appeal to Star Trek fans? Would you like to harness the power of this podcast to get your message out to the world? We here at Trek Talking are a show made by fans for fans, and we would love to help you share your love of Star Trek on the air live every Monday and Thursday night at 7.30 Eastern. Contact us through Facebook Messenger at facebook.com slash trektalkingandbeyond or email us using the contact link on our website at podpage.com slash trek-talking. We can't wait to hear from you. Engage. Don't miss Fandom Fest New York featuring special guests, vendors, artists, esports, tabletop games, and so much more. Fandom Fest, a unique con experience at Proctor's, August 12th through 14th. Have you always wanted to tour the Enterprise? Would you like to meet Jim and Eric from Trek Talking in a live setting? Then join us August 19th through the 21st in Ticonderoga, New York for Trek Conderoga 2022. Star Trek The Next Generation stars Gates McFadden, John Delancey, and Brent Spiner will be headlining the event. Leading tours of the painstakingly recreated USS Enterprise TOS sets, participating in bridge chats, and much more. Trek Conderoga 2022 is your chance to meet some of your favorite Next Generation actors in a setting with small crowd sizes and easy accessibility to the stars. Don't forget to swing by the Trek Talking table to see Uncle Jim and Eric. We'd love to meet you. Engage. All right, we are back here on uh, Trek Talking 2. This Monday, we are talking about the Star Trek Year 5 comic book series. We're talking about these last six issues here, and Charles was just taking us a little bit through uh, issue 23 here and the Tholian web that um, goes galactic. (laughs) <laughs> and is able to actually affect many ships in many parts of the galaxy at one point. And then, of course, the story goes back to Gary Seven, right? Yes. And they're able to get they're able to get through the grid, through the web, and then we see on Earth where Gary Seven leads Spock into the device to show them what it is. 
and Gary Seven feels like his best plan is to just sit there and show Spock the future. <laughs> and, and let's this, talk about that was, panel. <laughs> yeah, I was saying, and let's talk about that panel. Yeah. Because you see Spock right in the middle of the panel. And you get all the different conflicts that occur later on. Like way later on. Way later on. We get the we get issues of the board. We talk about the Dominion War. Yeah, we, we do. We talk about Praxis. We talk about Praxis. We talk yep. about the Dominion War. We talk about um, uh, the burn, I believe, is what the very last thing refers to. They say a thousand-year wick until the galaxy itself burns. So I think that this this panel, literally Spock gets this kind of vision of the future that goes all the way from Star Trek VI, which is in his near future, all the way uh, to the burn, which is literally, you know, 900 and whatever it is. Centuries down the line. Centuries, centuries down the line. He gets a little insight here. And I love that panel because as a Star Trek fan who's seen it all and loves connecting the dots, the fact that Spock kind of becomes this conduit for being able to see all of the things that happen in the future just really makes sense to me, right? If you're going to pick one character that's going to see this future, it should be Spock. Well, and it's, and it gives you an idea what the Gary Seven knows. Gary Seven's been exposed to all this, and you kind of understand why he's got all this rage and why he's kind of doing things he's doing. And Gary Seven thinks that he's got the upper hand with Spock, and Spock will do, will do his bidding. And he he's appealing to it from is, a perspective of logic, right? Right. That's yeah. Right. But he's saying the logical thing to do. Is having, but Spock's having conflict with logic. Spock's having issues with emotions as well. And he realizes that hey, we're not. We, yeah, you can't take. You're not going to be able to take take me like this. I know what's going on, but I'm going to change it. Hey, I'm going to sit there and get away, and I'm going to let Kirk come down. You want Kirk, and why don't we send Kirk over, Kirk down? But you see Spock beam away, and the issues that are going on the bridge, and we get a lot of detail about what's going on with the Tholians, and. Uh, Kirk decides he's going to go down to the air and deal with Gary Seven himself, mm-hmm. and leaves and leaves Spock in charge of the ship through this mission. So he's going to deal with Gary Seven, and Spock will deal with the Tholian issue. And so this, it's, yeah, go ahead, Paul. I was going to say, it really puts a couple of interesting things in motion, right? Because it's like you've got two dynamics going on, it feels like to me. It's like, one is like, as an audience, I mean, because the reader becomes the audience. It's weird because we've always had a very different feeling and relationship to Gary Seven, and suddenly he's like the Bond villain. Yeah. He's, he's the antagonist, <laughs> right? And so it's like, wait a minute, we're supposed to be the super smart guy who's, you know, and who has our best interests in the future at heart, and all of a sudden you're you're wanting to just, you know, wreak all this havoc with your good intentions. So we really, that's kind of messes with this a little bit, but also because of the decision Kirk makes, he kind of gets his way because he engineers a situation that Spock basically has to take command. Yep. And the thing I love about that particular portion of issue 23 is that Spock gets a second chance, right? The, the earlier time that he, was given a chance at command in this series. He feels like he failed. And he talks a lot about that. Uh, I don't remember. I, I've got a lot of notes here, so I don't. I can't pull up the actual issue uh, offhand. But there's an issue where Spock spends a lot of time kind of recontemplating the decisions that he made when he was given command of the Enterprise and wondering, you know, doubting himself based on his classic logic versus emotion um, internal uh, conflicts. And I love that he's given kind of another chance 
here in the series to um, feel like he can be successful, <laughs> so to speak. I don't think the first time around that anybody else other than Spock felt like he failed, but, you know, Spock being down on himself is probably Spock not performing at his peak. So wouldn't you rather have Spock perform at his peak? Let's give him another chance. He He's sure to succeed because, well, he's freaking Spock. Uh, so it's going to happen, right? <laughs> I love that about this issue. That's one of my favorite parts, honestly. Yeah, he's great. I feel like he's the most, you know, he, for me, like the most engaging character throughout all these uh, last issues is, is he really feels like Spock. He's drawn like Spock and he he behaves like Spock in, in a really cool way because he's still – it's like Charles was saying, he hasn't made it to Vulcan yet. He hasn't had that thing that we've seen from the motion picture where he's, you know, embarking on Kolinar, right? Is This is all the lead up to that. And I feel like yeah. they are able to really honor all those different things from both the series and the movies that come in a really kind of cool and engaging way. So it, it's, it was a really fun to go back and reread these again um, because it's weird. It's just, it, and I like what you said, Eric, you know, how it's just like, uh, it kind of sucks when you're, when you're looking at the end of your mission, right? Yeah. If end of your mission means retirement. And, you know, like you were saying, Charles, right? It's a desk job is basically, you know, for somebody who's been out on the frontier, it is like retirement, right? It's just like it's it's going to leave a bitter taste in their mouth, right? And it's like – and Kirk at one point later on, and I think it's the next issue. I mean, he's, he relates to Gary Seven that way. He goes, we're yeah. all about our missions. You know, yeah. and what are we without that? <laughs> great. So. Well, and that's good why this, that's why these three issues here are are such a good setup to the motion picture too. I mean, the epilogue notwithstanding, because uh, all of those things resonate in the motion picture, right? Like you, you in the motion picture, you know that that Kirk's not happy being an admiral, so this just kind of leads right into that. Um, and the way that this particular issue ends, I they they just did throughout this entire series a great job with cliffhangers. Like uh, as far as I'm concerned, the last page always made me want to read the next issue pretty much. And in this one, the very last thing you see is Gary Seven shooting Picard, or shooting Picard, shooting Kirk uh, on, <laughs> as he stands uh, on the edge of a shuttlecraft. So I love that. Like, Wearing oh his God. no man has gone before tunic. <laughs> That's right. You're like, oh my God, what's going to happen? <laughs> okay, but here's something interesting, and I just did a quick link. It's like, how do, how do we stop the Tholians that are coming after the Enterprise? And check out says potassium, rhodium, quantum gas. There you go. And you're thinking, oh, that sounds like a lot of truck mill babble. It's not. KRB. It is an actual chemical they've researched. It's a 2019 one of the science journals actually talks about it. And yes, it does go 15 nano kelvins above absolute zero. Oh, Charles, they didn't awesome. just drag this out of the air. They found actual substance. Oh, and you that is it. so cool. That is just so cool. That, that That's awesome knowledge, Charles. I did not know that. <laughs> so I was looking I was at it like, okay, what was the detail on this thing? And I, look, I do a Google search like, oh, wait a minute. The first article, like, yeah, they're all science websites. It's like, oh, gee, this stuff's they're, – they're not just digging stuff out, random stuff out. No, they get real, actual, something real out there and use it. It's like, okay, yes, folks, these sites are doing like Star Trek. They're going to the scientists to get the details. Thank you, science consultants, Star Trek science consultants. You know what's up. So this particular issue, issue 24, uh, the penultimate uh, issue of this, uh, as we go through the story, Bright Eyes goes back to the Tholian Council and basically kind of convinces them that the humans aren't so bad and that they have there's some value in um, exploring relations with human culture. I encourage you to go and watch or read these uh, issues because it's kind of cool how they do it. And I love the actual words that are used along the way. 
we transition, we find out, um, I guess, our very first scene, because it's pre-motion picture with the new <laughs> Federation president. Who has the name of that race off the top of their head that everybody thinks is a Klingon but isn't a Klingon? Federation president from motion picture. Jim's probably screaming it right now and is not. Oh, able from to the see. motion picture? Oh, man. Um, you know that yeah. guy with the hair and the beard. And, anyway. You know that's, is, uh, that's Clarence Boddicker. I do know it's Clarence Bot. Yes, thank you for pulling out his name. Whatever the name of that race is, he is introduced in this uh, issue, which I think is really super cool. And then, of course, the the kind of like final battle I Dude, guess, is it that, the Ephrosians? Ephrosians. That's what it is. Yeah, the Ephrosians. Yeah. Thank you for not the Ephrosians because those those people were <laughs> no, more in the seventies. Ephrosians. You know. Yeah, Ephrosians. Um, <laughs> But the final battle between Gary Seven and Kirk is basically them jumping throughout yes. time where uh, Gary Seven is trying to go back far enough to trick Kirk. And in fact, Kirk is able to preemptively strike every time. And they go through all kinds of years. You know, there's this great page where they go through like five or six different years. Tarsus the Four. They're Tarsus Four again. There's Tarsus Four. I love it. There's, yes, they go to Tarsus Four uh, a couple of times. They go to Iowa, San Francisco. And then, are, it's great. Yep, yep. And then eventually, um, you know, they 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 kind of have this like final discussion where they you know punch each other and kind of talk out their man problems, and then they <laughs> realize that they have all this common ground, right? <laughs> Which I think is just well, so I love cool. this. I love yeah. this one scene that they go through, and you see the top of the page, USS Kelvin. Yeah. Twenty-two cool. thirty-three, and it's like. Oh, you're in you're in the Kelvin universe, and Kirk's like, no, you're not going to sit there and disrupt this universe. Yeah, my there, folks are off limits. limits. <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, the issue kind of ends as the final walk off, where you know we we realize that Spock doesn't really want to be captain of the Enterprise. We realize that Kirk is being promoted, and um, we leave this issue with them walking off the bridge and the lights kind of go down. And to me, that is just a, a great ending because it yeah. ends like so many great Star Trek episodes do, which is you might not know what the right answer was. Um, you know, you might not know exactly the way that the story should have turned out to, to be a comedy versus a tragedy. This one kind of ends a little agnostically, you know. It, like good things have happened, but is Kirk happy? Well, not really. Is Spock happy? Well, no, because he's chosen the Vulcan path. <laughs> but before we run out of time, we should probably hit this last issue. So issue 25 to me yes. is kind of the epilogue to, to everything. Uh, we start out with an adult bright eyes. Um, we have some cooperation between the Federation and the Tholians. They are rebuilding the colony that we saw destroyed way back in, I think it was like issue number two, uh, way back in the day. Um, we have Spock and McCoy and even Chekhov and Sulu kind of all having little adventures on their way to what's going to happen with them in the motion picture. McCoy specifically is offered um, – the uh, the job of being chief medical officer at Starfleet decides doesn't want to do it, uh, which I think is cool. Yeah, um, but you yeah. got the mustache and the beard. Yeah, yes, which is what we see in the motion picture when he shows up and he's all grumpy exactly. about being called back. Uh, <laughs> whatever, what was it? It was like a special, it's some sort of special order that they used to call him back in the motion picture. I can't remember what it is. And then um, I really love you guys. I love the Scotty and Uhura scene. Me I just too. Want to talk, I just yeah. want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so that is that was really surprising to me. Um, I actually did not remember that uh, on there because it's just it's so great to actually have a, a story beat that is so you know uniquely Scotty centric, right? Yep. From his perspective, yep. and and it really humanizes him. Uh, he seldom gets that kind of face time, really. I mean the uh, you know. Uh, the, you know, they get a wolf in the fold is about as Scotty centric as they got. And it wasn't all that great. right? <laughs> yeah. But this was lovely because it was between two of the main characters, right? Between him and Avora. And, you know, it's just like, Hey, you know, we got a lot of uh, feelings for each other. And, 
this doesn't have to be the end of our lives together. I thought that yep. was really cool that there's a future out here. Mm-hmm. It, it could be whatever we imagine it to be. I thought that was really great and uh, and done very tastefully, right? And as the you know and gigantic you know shape of the Enterprise being refit you know hovers above them, it's pretty cool. <laughs> Which is that, that that's what I love about that scene, Paul, because um, you know here Uhura comes in, they have this great date. You know, she's obviously interested in him, and he's like, "Oh man, this is, you know, this seems like this might be." And then he I looks gotta at go the read Enterprise. My technical journals. <laughs> yeah, and then he looks at the Enterprise, and he's like, "Oh, you might have some competition, old girl." You know, <laughs> because yeah. Scotty's only ever had one love, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I really, really like that part of the scene. Um, the issue, and you know, uh, and you got to say too, in like a couple of these earlier issues too, whenever there was an opportunity to do so, they really did a good job of giving Uvora something to do mm-hmm. to help with the plot, yeah. right? To help assist things, oh, like to, to a, elevate communication. So, so she's not just you she know opening great. hailing frequencies. He really tried to like advance and give her a, a more pivotal role, which is just awesome. Another yeah. really good thing about this uh, these uh, these issues. So lovely stuff. Yeah. Yes. But it's right. It really is a, a super cool uh, little uh, prologue that you're always wondering. It's like, well, what was it like? You know, but, but those ish, that time period leading up to uh, when we see the motion picture, right? And it really made me want them to go and I'd love to see a whole new comic series about that era. You know, wow. I don't think we've seen a lot of stuff covering it. It was really, really interesting, right? It's just like, what's everyone doing? It seems like everybody wanted to get a job in – Kirk's staff in the Admiralty, right? So they could be near him. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> in case some adventure should rear its head, they wanted to be ready to go, right? So uh, I would totally sign up for uh, a multi-issue series that was all about that time period that filled in some of those blanks, you know? And uh, maybe there yeah. is a uh, a Scotty thing that we find out about. But I'd, I'd sure be fascinated to see uh, what they did. But nice faithful creating on these comic series. I, I I thought they were a lovely and very entertaining thing. So I'm glad we got a chance to revisit all this stuff. Sorry, Jim couldn't join in here with us. I know he had mentioned some things like uh, from the animated series, like Lieutenant Eric's and Maress, right? That you get to see them briefly. Yep. Yeah. They sure do. Uh, they don't name uh, Emress, but but she's definitely shown. We see occasion in a couple of different uh, episode or issues, I believe. And Eric, like I said, they they kind of like briefly bring him in. I like how they um, they kind of introduce his character, but then they don't stick with him. So I guess I guess that was one thing in this uh, series that kind of like fell a little bit flat for me. I would have liked to have seen Eric's come in and then also become a part of the permanent. Like I just wanted to see more animated series tie in. Yeah. I I love the animated series and anything that these guys can do to canonize all that stuff, I'm all for. Well, isn't there like a, there's a panel in one of these six issues, Eric, where it's like you see the flashback of him being beaten up as a kid on Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Spock, way back right? where they're wearing their kind of like you know the weird right. diapers that they wore, right? And yeah, the whole thing, right? Without getting too odd, but. <laughs> yeah, actually, I think that. But that's Paul, totally that right out of the that's... animated series. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that might have actually been in a different series. Was that in the it was in one of Light these. of Kalis like, series? Or was it, was it in one of the 20 or 21. Oh, was it really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, got it. Okay, yep. Well, at any rate, you guys, I – so it, when it comes to Star Trek comics, there's the, – the quality has been fairly high. I think our podcast has always agreed over the last, you know – uh, yes. five, six so years. I mean, so. does a good job with a lot of their stuff. Yeah. And I don't think this series is any exception. Um, I, I've really enjoyed it. Whenever somebody says, hey, I want to read some Star Trek comics, what should I read? I do steer them personally towards this series because it has all the classic characters. Yes. And it's just a really cool story. Now, there are also some old year four comics that if you're really interested in what happens uh, between these comics and the end of the TV series, they cover those as well. But as mm-hmm. you said, um, you get you get a lot of writers and a lot of people that have access to people doing the shows these days with these comics. And as a result, we kind of like the com. We consider the comics a little bit more canon adjacent than they used to be. You know, the, these. The, it feels to me like all of these stories could fit right into canon, and I really uh, p- personally appreciate that. So, 
when it comes well, to your five, just, yeah. Instead of just the comic series who just make random comics, just as they made random novels, and they said, okay, Paramount, or uh, not Paramount, but uh, Viacom. You like oh, it? Account. It's okay. Then we'll publish it. Yeah. Whereas yeah. now they do more serious of, I think they are a little more critical. They want these ones more tied to the series and better representing the series. Completely and I told, I told this comment, I told this comment to Eric today. I said, I'm finally getting, through, I got through 25. And I told him, it's like, issue 25 just what reminds me of the last episode of DS9. Yeah. Because you found out what happened to everybody. This episode goes through, and we know what happened to most of the characters. And we kind of know hey, why can you guys hear me now? McCoy. <laughs> we can hear you. We know just why McCoy comes in in a beard. Why yep. is Spock on the planet? We know now because the series talks about it. Yep. Yep. Well, that was a fun time, guys. That was really cool, and uh, yeah. I think we, we got a chance to really revisit there. Hopefully some folks will hear this and get intrigued and pick these up in trade paperback or whatever and uh, see yeah. these, and uh, I'd love to see them do more of these, uh, more of these kind of things that feel like the show. Yeah, good call, Paul. So I just I did want to mention just what you mentioned right there, which is that these are now available in trade paperback. There's a, uh, four issues, I believe it's four issues that cover uh, all 25 issues of this series. So 26. I 20 uh, sorry 26. Um, Don't forget the there, Valentine's issue. There is, there is a Valentine's <laughs> Day issue which we've debated whether or not to cover, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think we about it. <laughs> One way or another, um, these are in trade paperback, and I w- highly recommended you guys. I think we would. Is it safe to say we all give it at least a nine? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. I think so yeah. too. I think it's just it's done with the great reverence and affection and respect, right, by people who clearly love the original series and these characters, and they 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 they, they kind of wrote the story that they felt they never got that they wanted to see, and that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Super cool. All right. Now, if our fans would like to know what direction we're going to next, we're looking at probably doing a one episode on the four books on the Avengers in the 32nd century, eventually. But I think another book we kind of want to hit on is Star Trek The Mirror War. Because we really enjoyed the Mirror series they've done previously, mostly. And then I think they would like to see what they do with this next one. Totally agreed, Charles. Uh, the Mirror Wars series, I don't remember exactly how many issues, but I feel like we're about five or six issues into it. And they've been doing that in addition to kind of one-shot issues about different characters. Uh, there was one about <laughs> Jordy. There was one about Data. Yeah. There uh, is 11 issues so far and one left. So it's going to be 12 issues in that series. So we'll have to decide with Comic Corner what we're going to cover and what we won't cover, but it did feel important to close out the year five series given the quality of this particular series and the fact that it took, you know, two plus years for all the issues to come out. Um, So thank you guys so much for talking about it. It was really a lot of fun. Well, I love, I love this series and the idea that they took, they would do a two episode, they do two issue arc, which is one episode. Yep. And I like yep. that thing. Okay, we got it. We got through. We got a cliffhanger. We go to the next episode. It solves itself. And then we go on the next episode. So we got like 12, we got 11 good episodes. And then the end really tied it all together in one big two parter. Totally agree, Charles. Um, great series. Well, I think we should remind all of our fans that, uh, and readers that uh, in a couple of weeks, it's that big, uh, there's like at least three big comics, especially the one to look out for is Star Trek issue 400, right? Because that's mm-hmm. going on, it's like at least four different stories going on in there. It's like a big jam-packed 799 issue. And I think it's around the same time that the first uh, Lower Decks comic comes out and the yep. Troy Mirror War, which should be crazy. So uh, 
What kind of nonsense is she going to be up to in the mirror universe? I don't know. She's so evil in the mirror universe. I love oh, her. Oh, <laughs> she's got, a, got, a, got scores to settle. So there's a lot of really – this sort of intrigues folks, and you haven't listened, uh, taken a peek at Star Trek comics before or in a while. This is a great time to think about getting back into them because uh, there's a lot of good ones coming, and IDW continues to really be a strong – a supportive uh, voice uh, for all the different parts of the franchise. So really cool stuff. Check them out. So go check out your local comic store. Look under Star Trek. They have plenty of issues on the shelf or they can order them for you uh, if they're not there. Uh, I think we have lost Jim one more time. So I will just say that my name is Eric. I am from Portland. Thank you guys so much for um, engaging in this conversation. I love this series so much and it was so much fun to talk about it with you guys. Um, so thank you very, very much. And, it's a uh, pleasure, man. This was a really good time. Yeah, Paul, thank you so much for, for joining us. Um, it's been such a pleasure to have a good friend of mine join the podcast and become a regular part, and uh, you always have such cool insights. So thank you very much, Paul. It's my pleasure. I just wait, want to talk more about toys in the future. I hope we can get there. <laughs> we can absolutely get there, and I think we all consider you the authority on that topic, so I look forward to talking more about those. And uh, upon your encouragement, I went and bought myself a bunch of Squirrel Girl toys, so I'd love to talk That's about those. That's my so. man. There we go. <laughs> Excellent. We're going to get that shelf of yours crammed full of action figures yet, man. There's there we no go. escape. So. All right, friends. And, and Good Charles, talking, Charles. Charles, well, thank you so much I'm for joining me. I'm also Charles I, Parker. Yeah. Don't forget that uh, – 400th issue. Yes. That's also going to. Will Wheaton's going to be having has one of the stories in there. Cannot wait to see what they do with that one. It's going to be a good one. I'm from well, Las Vegas, and oh, Eric got me to finally get through those last six episodes, and man, I'm glad I did. <laughs> Great series. Uh, thank you all. Thank you all for listening to Trek Talking Two today. And uh, be safe out there, and uh, hailing frequencies are closed. So long. So long, all. Live long long and prosper. Let's see what's out there. Engage. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.